You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Why don't we put our hands together for the choir and the band leading us in worship. Wow. Um... It was incredible. Thank you guys so much for sharing your gifts with us. They, uh, they are talented. They are so gifted, and it's great. First time we've had that um, here as a church, and so um, it's, it's a blessing, especially for those of us who can't sing, which is me, um, and maybe some of you, to, to have someone to help support us in worship is such a blessing. Anyways, Merry Christmas. My name's Travis. There you go. We can, it's okay to, to say that here. Um, <laughs> that's no jab at our culture. It's just a fact. Just saying. Uh, my name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. We are so humbled and thankful to have you here this Sunday. We've been praying that God would use it to bless you, that you would have illuminated to you the beauty of Jesus in this time when it should be celebrating all about Jesus. And so that's been our prayer that you would be touched, that this would not just be another Sunday duty check. I went to church, did my Christmas duty. Um, now maybe you're here for that, and that, that's okay. We're thankful to have you here, but, but, but God would have so much more for you than just you checking off your Sunday duty and say, I went to church, I fulfilled what I should have, and now I'm just going to go live my life how I've chosen to live my, my life. We want to invite you out this Thursday evening at 6 p.m. here at the church. We have our Christmas Eve worship gathering. It's going to be a really special night. Um, so we expect all of you to, to, we would love for all of you to be here, depending on your traditions that you have on Christmas Eve. But we, uh, it's going to be about an hour long, and then it's going to be a special, uh, some special things happening um, after the worship gathering. So we just want you to know that you're invited, be, especially be inviting friends and family uh, during this time of year, people are really open to coming to church because, well, Christmas and Easter is my duty. And so now if you're one of those people fulfilling that duty, um, we're glad to have you here. We truly are thankful to have you here. And what we're doing today is we're actually taking a break from our study in our series through the book of First John. And for the next couple of weeks, we are going to be looking at the generosity of God. The generosity of God. Now I hope that most of you have finished your Christmas shopping. Show of hands, those who still have Christmas shopping to do. Keep your hands up, everyone else. Those are the hands of procrastination right there, all right? <laughs> now, I understand why you're procrastinating. Now, shopping for Christmas presents can be a joy in this season when we're looking to give, when we're looking to, to spend our money on other people. There, there is no doubt an element of fun to it. So yes, it's one part fun, but you have to also admit it's one part agonizing, right? Like, what do I get for the person who has everything? Then, you have, and then what do you get for the person who has a, you know, for my spouse, like for me, I made it my goal for the first three or four years of our marriage to attempt to get something for my wife that she would not return at the store in the New Year's, right? 
I'm just saying, like, I mean, she's like, babe, that doesn't fit. That is ugly. And I was like, I thought it was pretty, but okay, whatever. And so I've grown to know her taste and what she likes and what she doesn't like. And maybe you're there shopping for your boyfriend or your girlfriend or someone you love, know, and, and care for. It's that time of the year when it's about giving, the giving of gifts, of generosity, and also receiving. But long before holiday cards, eggnog, and cutting down Christmas trees, one of the mega themes that we have in the scriptures long before Christmas is generosity. This book that we have, the scriptures, is a story about the generosity of God toward mankind, toward humanity. From Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation, we have in these verses the giving of gifts, the generosity of God. And and I honestly believe that this topic is worthy of our devotion, is worthy of our affection, is worthy of our thoughts, because it's something, honestly, that's often overlooked. Even among some of your favorite verses, somewhere in there is generosity. And in this three and a half years young of this church plant, this church, we are a newer and a younger church of this three and a half years, we have never talked about this subject, ever, about the generosity of God, about the gifts that God gives, yet the scriptures are infused with this subject of gifting and generosity. And so for the next couple of weeks, that is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be looking at the generosity of God. We're going to be talking about the gifts that God gives. And so if we're looking at a roadmap for this little mini-series during Christmas, and I actually every message is building one on top of another, so make sure you're here on Christmas Eve, and then of course the Sunday after, if you're able to make it, we um, or kind of building on this concept because it's, it's really kind of a threefold thing. But in looking at the gifts that God gives, we're going to be looking at why and how God gives. We're going to be talking about what God gives. And then we will be looking at how we enjoy these gifts that God gives to us. But the focus of our attention this morning is how and why God gives. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Make your way to Matthew chapter 7 this morning. We're going to pick it up in verse 7 and look at just a handful of verses. So though it is a topical message, we are still expositing the scriptures, seeing what God would have for us this morning. Let's all stand for the reading of God's word as you make your way to Matthew chapter 7. This is the word of the Lord. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you? If his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Heavenly Father, we ask of you this day that you would meet us in the chaos of our life. That in the mess, in the confusion, and the blessing, and the happiness of our life, that no matter what season of life we find ourselves in church this morning, right now, God, you've appointed to us, you've given us this day that we would be here in this service to hear your words and to have an encounter with you. So God, I ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to show Jesus to us and that as we see and understand Jesus and understand you, God, that we would glorify you, that we would put ourselves under the scriptures and that we would not just fulfill our religious duty this morning, but that we would grow in love and affection for there is no greater king, no greater person, no thing more to be celebrated than Jesus, you becoming a child. Emmanuel, God who is with us. So God, would you manifest your presence in this place this morning through the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. It's one of the most incredible sermons, if not the most powerful sermon ever preached. And though it's 2,000 years old, its truths have outlasted time because the truths of this sermon do not come from someone who is nearly under the submission of time, but someone who is sovereign over the clock, who is sovereign over time, someone who is outside of the boundaries of time. The red letters we've just read in Matthew chapter 7 is the sermon from Jesus himself. Truths declared about God and as we are looking at these incredible truths from Matthew chapter 7, it's a sermon that is famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. And the way Jesus opens up this sermon actually is in Matthew chapter 5, seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, hence why church, we've, we've called it the Sermon on the Mount, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened, verse 2, his mouth and taught them. That's what a sermon is, just so you know. It's not a message primarily to make me feel good, though it can do that. It's not telling me all the great things that I want to hear about myself. It is a teaching. A sermon is a declaration about how God works, the kingdom of God, the natures of God, and the nature of man. And so Jesus, he taught them. 
That's what we do today. We teach, we declare these truths. And so what is Jesus, our great preacher, from this incredible sermon teaching you and teaching me today? Well, let's look at verse 7 of chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What we have given to us here in these verses is a command. The command, being simple and a little redundant here, just so you know, is a command that is directly given from Jesus to his disciples. And though you will not find this word mentioned anywhere from verses 7 to 11, the command for us that is from Jesus is a call for his disciples to pray. Even though this is a command, we are called to pray, I personally believe that this is where we are maybe even individually as Christians, maybe even us as a church and modern day Christianity is weakest at. Of all the commands that Jesus has given to us, I believe our Achilles heel is prayer. Like, is your prayer life awesome? Have you perfectly nailed your prayer life? Are you happy? Are you satisfied with your communication with God in prayer? I have met yet to meet a Christian that's like, yep, pretty much nailed it. So this message is for me, just as this message is as much for you. Even though we have this command to pray, And this command comes from Jesus. It's one of the most neglected commands. And we need, by the Spirit of God, an awakening within our souls to stir up the desire that we would pray to God. What greater thing could you devote yourself to as a Christian than prayer? It's hard to think of something greater than that, right? Oswald Chambers said, prayer does not equip us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Now, if you're thinking, hey, I was really excited about this sermon series, the gifts of God, the generosity of God. All right, let's talk about that. Now, why are we talking about prayer? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll, we will talk about the gifts of God. But why are we talking about prayer? I would argue that there are fewer greater gifts in the arsenal of the life of a Christian than prayer. One of the greatest gifts God could ever grant graciously to his children is the ability to talk to the creator of the universe. God who is infinite in strength, infinite in knowledge, 
unmatched in glory, unmatched in holiness. He is altogether lovely. God has gifted us communion with him, relationship with him, knowledge and communication, dialogue with him, and that dialogue is prayer. And in context here, and I'm going to prove this throughout our time in this message, until we see prayer as a gift and not a burden, we will miss the unmatched generosity of God. Can I say that again? Until we see prayer as a gift and not as something that I have to do that's a burden, we will not experience or fully know the unmatched generosity of God the Father. See, Jesus here in these verses, he is pleading with us. He is convincing us. He is repeating to us that we should come to the Father in prayer. That's why he says in verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Did you notice that he repeated himself there? Three times, repeated twice. Three things, states it twice. Why? Because we are thick-headed, right? The disciples listening to him then and us disciples today, 2,000 years later, are no different. Jesus is pleading with us and telling us and convincing us and giving us a command to ask, to seek, and to knock. That is prayer. So Jesus, first off, tells us in prayer, ask. Ask. In the original language, ask, just like the English translations we're reading out of, ask is a verb. This word, ask, means a craving, a begging, a desire. I think for many Christians, this is where we start and this is where we stop. God, I asked you. I let you know. I had a craving. I, I begged a little bit and, and, and I didn't get what I wanted. I, I filled my due diligence. I'm kind of waiting on you now. So this, this thing is on you, God. I, I've asked, and sadly, too many Christians have grown content with nonchalant asking of God. I'm not saying don't ask. I'm saying at the least, you ask God. Not nonchalantly, oh, hey, by the way. This is a begging, it's a, it's a craving, it's a desire. The asking with that being the motivation of your heart. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He's going to turn up the intensity. And the next thing that Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek. Interestingly, seek in the original language is also a verb. And this word seek means seek to find. Seek to find. So my wife, now that might seem a little bit redundant there really quick, but 
it's important that we understand seeking to find. Because when my wife asks me, she's like busy doing something in the house, and she's like, hey, babe, will you check for this thing? Will you seek for something in my purse? There's fewer things that could be asked of me that are atrocious than that. You want me to go through your purse like half of our house is in there. I don't even want to begin to explore in there. I remember one time my, my wife was asking me to look through her person. She's a clean person. But I was like, babe, you know the kids put a banana in here and it's growing a banana tree almost? It's like, I don't know what's in there. And so my wife says, hey, will you search for something in my, in my purse? I am seeking. However, I am not seeking to find. I am just doing the, 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 the thing on the outside. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeking. And did you find it? Nope. You can go where and there and look. You can investigate. But in prayer, we are called not only to ask, not only to have a craving, not only to have a, a desire, but to seek And not just seeking for seeking's sake, but seek to find, seek to discover, seek to lean in, seek to pursue after, seek to find. Jesus says, you seek, you will will find. Ask, seek, and and here we are. The intensity is being raised all the more. Now we're told here by Jesus, the end of verse 7, knock, and it will be open to you. Knock is also a verb. Do you see that for the Christian, prayer is action. Prayer is a happening. Prayer is an event. Prayer is something that must manifest itself actively to God. It's not passive. It's not past tense. It's something that we should be engaging in with the Lord. And so we're told to ask, we're told to seek, and now here we are told to knock. And this is a progression of fervent intensity. Knock. Knock. A few years back, my wife and I, and and we had one kid at the time, um, moved from Southern California to Northwest Montana to help a friend plant a church up there. And um, Montana's cold. If you've never been to the Northwest, it's cold and it's miserable. And no, I don't miss it at all. Not a chance. I miss some of the people there in case they're listening to this. I miss you, but I don't miss there. Um, and I remember one late night, we were coming home from a friend's house. In fact, we were following Pastor Eric um, and he drives super slow as it is, like 30 miles under the speed limit. And so we are, uh, there's snow on the ground. It's like 1130 at night. So he's driving like five miles an hour on a 75 mile. I'm serious. I'm like, forget this, man. I pass him, smoke him, beat him home. Uh, Cause he drives like, like really, yeah, anyways, he's, he's a bad driver. A uh, great guy, <laughs> slow driver. And um, so we pull up and to our house and we're getting the kids and they're all like bundled up. And I think Sebastian was maybe like four, right? So he was, he was our oldest. So he was pretty small then. And, and, um, and so we pull up and, and I'm like fondling my keys, trying to find my keys to be able to get into the, our apartment there at our building. We live in a big apartment complex building. There's dozens of units. And so sure enough, I, we, I could not get in. I had my 
uh, backup car keys, but I didn't have the house keys. They're inside the house. So knocking was going to do no good, right? So what do I do? It's 20 degrees out, late snowing. I decide to go around the building to the backside to see if I can knock myself into my own home to break in, right? But as I'm making my way around the, the building, all of a sudden I hear this bell start ringing and lights start flashing. And it's the fire alarm. So I'm like, what is happening? So I just like book it, run around the corner to find my wife with this like look on her face like it was him pointing to Sebastian and he was like already crying knowing that the wrath of dad was coming. He went over, which is near our door, just helped himself and pulled the fire alarm. Woke up everyone in our building and there were dozens and dozens of, of units. And I forgot to tell us the first service, but there are alarms and lights that even flash within the apartment building. So everyone was awake. But you know what? Well, you know, while we were trying to funnel our keys and look, we, we couldn't find the, the number to the property manager, but guess what? Property manager came, right? You can guarantee that. So as angry as I was, sure enough, it brings out the property manager and we're talking to her and, and you know what she does? We explain to her the situation, shut off the fire alarm and then we have to apologize to like 100 people and she takes out the master key and opens the door. Now, this is a true story. Someone asked me about last year, you made that up? No, it actually happened. There's more details that I will not disclose here that were just so funny and crazy, but... He made a scene. He went over, pulled that fire alarm. Noi, he made a scene. But guess what? We got in. Because the property manager came in with the key, opened it up. I think when, when we read, ask, okay, ask. You talk to God, okay, that's, that's good. You, you have that craving, you have that desire. But let that craving, if God has not answered you, birth in you a seeking to find, a desire to pursue and look after. And if you still have not found that, then you make a scene before your almighty heavenly father. You pull all the stops you can. You tell him all the struggles that you have. And as you knock on that door, he, the master, will open up that door because he alone has the master key, because he alone is sovereign, and he will see you through whatever you're going through, whatever needs you have, or whatever struggles you are presently experiencing. That's our God. Make a scene before him. Some of us are like, it'd be really polite to God. He knows you're angry anyways. Just tell him. Right? Knock. Knock. In fact, uh, one, a couple of pastors I've heard use this, and I'm actually going to borrow this to help us understand this more. Th th there, this could be speaking, even Jesus is, is telling us to do this, by the way. So Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. So Jesus is telling us to do this. It's not wrong for us to, to make a scene, right? In fact, uh, the illustration is like, well, God is a Father, and we live in the house of God. And, and sometimes... When you're, you know, every illustration breaks down at some point, but sometimes when you're sitting at the couch with dad, you need to say, hey, when you ask, sometimes you get it right away, right? But then at times, dad's not in the room. Now, he's there, he's at the house, but he's not in the room, and so you might ask, but maybe he didn't hear you, so then you go seek to find. And sometimes when you find him, you realize the door is closed. 
But this knocking is not like a dad. It's a pounding on the door, craving a seeking to find the making of a scene, pounding on the door. God, I need you. God, I need you here. God, show up in my life. Manifest yourself. Make yourself known. I have these needs that need to be met. See, somewhere along the lines, we've gotten overly spiritual because God, now he has. I'm not trying to in any way suck the life out of the gospel. God has done everything for us in righteousness. But somehow in the imputed righteousness that Jesus gives us his righteousness in exchange for our sin when he hung on the cross, Jesus has done all the good works. They've all been prepared before us. But then somewhere we've gotten overly spiritual to think, well, then I don't need to do anything for God. Yet here is Jesus telling us to pray to our sovereign heavenly Father this is a call to action, a command to pray. It is a verb. It's a working on. It's a pursuing. It's a craving. It's a seeking to find. And a lot of us think, well, there shouldn't be any striving. There shouldn't be any strife at all in my relationship with God. Well, you don't strive to get saved, but you strive to walk in all that God would have for you. Paul is desiring an answer from God, the Apostle Paul. He wants to go to Spain to declare the gospel pretty good desire, I would argue. I might be in the will of God. I want to go to Spain to preach the gospel. And he says in Romans 15, 13, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers. Why strive? Because sometimes as you ask, as you seek, as you knock, it's striving. Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times in the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Now, why would you need perseverance in context? Because we're making supplications for all the saints. You're going to need perseverance in prayer because prayer is a striving after. You and your prayer life are going to perspire, just so you know. Sometimes God is just not going to hand everything to you. Sometimes you ask him and he's like right there. Yeah, here you go. Sometimes you ask him and you don't even hear him. You're like, I got to find him. I got to seek to find him. And other times it's a pounding on the door. Lord, I'm here. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you to see me through on this, whatever it is. Prayer in the Bible is a laboring, it's an action. It's, prayer is an unceasing action of the Christian. And then we read in verse 8, check this out. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. The Son of God is telling us to beg. The Son of God is telling us to plead. The Son of God is telling us to desire and to do it unceasingly. So Christian, when you get tired, don't stop asking. 
Christian, when you feel like you, he cannot be found, you don't see how the things that you need in this life are, aren't, aren't going to just make it. They're not just going to show up. You don't see how the end result is going to be. You seek to find, even though it's dark, even though you're not sure how it's going to end. And maybe you found it, but the door is closed. You make a scene for the glory of God, and you pound on that door. You let him know your needs. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, because it will be opened. Guys, he is going to answer you. Look, look at verse eight. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. I don't mean to make an oversimplification of this verse, but can I just say, maybe we don't have because we have not asked. Because the one who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks the door is opened. Do you not see, verse 8, that this gift of prayer comes with extravagant promises? The gift of prayer is the ushering in of the generosity and the other gifts that come from God. Jesus wants you to pray. Who is this invitation for to pray? Verse 8, for everyone. For everyone. So, I, I don't know about you guys. I'm, I'm just going to be real transparent here. When I worry and I on my own, try on my own strength to make things happen, I don't feel worthy to pray to God. If I feel unworthy, pray. If you feel unworthy, pray. If you feel abandoned by him, pray. If you, feel, if you know you've been unfaithful to him, pray. If you are young, pray. If you are old, pray. If you are somewhere in between, young and old, you pray. If you are struggling with certain sins, pray. If you are greedy, pray. If you struggle with sexual sin, you pray. Everyone. And in context, Jesus here is looking at his 12 disciples and telling them to pray. Everyone comes to the Father. He never turns away. God never turns his own child away. Like we said at the beginning, we've been trying to answer the question, why and how does God give, right? Why does God give? And how does he give? Here's the why in verse 8. Because he promised. He gives because he promised to give. We are his children. He is our father. And so if the why is because he promised, then how does God give? Well, let's look at verse nine. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? That's funny. Or if he asks you for a fish, will give him a serpent? Then he says, if then... 
If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So uh, we just read here, if then you who are evil. Now, who is Jesus talking to? He's at the Sermon on the Mount, right? He's having a conversation with his disciples and the multitudes there spread out on the hill. Now, imagine this moment as Jesus is preaching his sermon. He makes eye contact with Peter. He makes eye contact with John. He makes eye contact with Andrew. He makes eye contact with James. And he's looking at them and the eyes. And then he says, if then you who are evil... Now, it's just a sub-point, but Jesus here is acknowledging the, the nature and the fallen state of humanity. From the moment of our conception, we as human beings were born into sin. From, from the moment we were created, we've entered into this thing called original sin. And Jesus sees us as evil. And he's saying this to his disciples, just so you know. No, don't leave, because this is going to get better, I promise. There's good news in this. And then he says, you, Jesus, even as sinful, evil people, you know how to give good gifts. And then he uses this parallel, like if, if, you're ch- if a child comes up to you, if, if you're a father and your child comes up to you and asks you for a gift, so he uses this picture of a father and a child. And so... The difference between earthly fathers and our heavenly father are similar in this text, yet in the same text they are so far apart, right? How are they similar? Because we know how to give good gifts. We know how to give for the most part, right? You know you know how to give a good gift? I had a friend who was gifted by his wife on Christmas. It happened a couple years ago. He was opening up his gift and he saw a dumbbell. You're like, what is happening here? So he reads the tag on the dumbbell and his wife wrote, Merry Christmas, enjoy your personal trainer for the next 12 months. He was offended to say the least, right? What are you trying to say to me? You know, now he didn't enjoy or appreciate that gift right away, but then 12 months later, being healthier, being stronger, being fit, very much appreciated that gift because he is a pretty awesome chef and being an awesome chef also means other things. So he enjoyed that gift, though he did not like that gift. So we, even when we make a mistake, when we give good gifts, we know how to give All of us are evil and we can give decent gifts. But Jesus said in verse 9, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Even in our most evil depravity, most of us will not give evil gifts. Like if little Johnny Fufu came running up to you and he's like, hey, daddy, can I have a malasada? And you're like, no, son, but why don't you take this nice, lovely mineral lava rock and enjoy it, right? Now you're chuckling, but that's Jesus' illustration here. Like you being evil, you know how to give good gifts. If, like a, if your son came up, you're like, oh, yeah, here, here's, here's some lava. Or how about, how about this one? I love the other one. Daddy, daddy, can I have a goldfish? No, but here's a cobra. Why don't you just go play with it in the backyard? Have fun, right? 
Jesus, I think, is being funny here. This is, this is funny stuff. This is Jesus. Jesus has a sense of humor. And Jesus is also speaking the truth. Earthly fathers are similar at giving good gifts like God, yet we are evil. So why should I ask? Why should you seek? Why should you knock? Because God is not evil. There is no darkness in him at all. God is infinitely greater than the best human on earth. God is infinitely more generous than the most generous, sweet, loving father on earth. The, bo- the biblical appear, appeal for you to pray is based on the nature and the character of God. Notice God does not say, or I'm not saying to you right now, hey, person sitting in church right now, Sunday morning, Merry Christmas, you better pray. No, you, you pray because you understand that God in his nature and his character, that he is good, that he is generous. And then if you ask God to be your daily bread, he's not giving you a rock. God, would you be my daily bread? God, would you be my satisfaction? God, would you satisfy my needs? He's not gonna turn, turn you away. He's a good father. That's what I love about verse 11 again. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God gives better gifts than you do. And God knows how to meet your needs better than you do. God knows how to satisfy you altogether better than you know. God understands what you want more than you know what you want. And the hand that holds the earth in rotation is the same hand that sovereignly, generously gives to those who ask. God ordains his children to come to him and ask. And Jesus wants us to know here. He wants us to know. He's proving it to you. All that the Father has for you is good. That's why we are told how much more. Look at beginning of verse 11. How much more will your Father in heaven? Child of God, do not limit the generosity of God by having an apathetic prayer life. A non-Christian or unbeliever or a person on a journey kind of searching, kind of seeing what we're about and what's, what's happening here or just kind of filling, fulfilling your religious duty, let me just speak to you for a moment. The nature of man, the way Jesus sees you is evil. The nature of God is good. The nature of man is evil. The nature of God is good. 
And in God's nature, while God sees you as evil and deserving of hell, he at the same time loves you with an unending love. And he gives you his grace in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. God is generous to evil, undeserved men. And so God's motivation, guys, this is, we gotta wrap this up because unless I just leave this a little bit too ethereal out there and we start praying for Ferraris and private jets and all that stuff, I'm not saying you can't ask. You might get your answer. God's motivation to give is out of his nature and out of his character. So whatever you ask and whatever he gives, it's always for his glory. It's always for his glory. So let this Christmas season, and may God use this message and the words of Jesus to give a hope so that you would enjoy and experience the generosity of God who is our Father. Let's pray. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever. And God, even as we pray and even as we ask that you would be glorified, if there are souls in here this morning who do not know you, who do not have a relationship with you, God, we ask, we ask that they would receive the free gift of salvation that comes through the shed blood of Jesus. These are the promises for the Christian. Become a Christian by God's grace and enter into this communion that you can have with him in prayer. Jesus doesn't want to be an add-on to your already put-together life or somewhat falling-apart life. Jesus is the Savior of all of you. Be saved. Enjoy him. For he is a good father. He will not give you what is evil. And Lord, for the, those who are Christians in here, may we have birthed in us a hope to pray fervently because we know that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.